Welcome to the Suburban Abyss, weekly transmissions from the leafy green nowhere. Music, pop culture, pandemic life, yard work, remote work, and the eternal quest for discount groceries. Episode 1. We moved across the country during the pandemic. Here's how and why, part 1. It started with Pittsburgh. The new year 2020 was underway, and we'd been talking about moving. In recent years, our friends had grown accustomed to hearing us allude to a move back east, but we rarely lingered on the topic or offered anything in the way of specifics because we didn't have any. Even amongst ourselves, the dinner conversations with my wife Erica and daughter Magnolia held little more than vague notions that vaporized by the time we cleared the table. But the tone of these conversations had been shifting. Discussions were deepening, and they were lingering. During Christmas break 2019, as we returned to the table night after night for board games, red wine, and holiday sugar, so too did the topic of moving which made sense because we were deep into a move within our house, trading bedrooms with Magnolia and upgrading her new space with carpet and paint that we had purchased with our holiday bonuses. We were not, however, thinking any bigger at this point. The room switch was all about preparing Magnolia for adolescence and giving her more space to grow through junior high and high school in Boise. Only later, and retroactively, did we mark the project as the first of several upgrades and repairs we would make in the next half year to get our house ready to sell. But back to Pittsburgh. After Christmas break, with the wassled glow of the holiday season and that new carpet smell fading away, talk of moving briefly left the table as the churn of daily life, work, school, lessons, practices, once again took over. But the following Sunday, January 12 to be exact, the newspaper brought us, along with details of a strange new virus emerging in China, a parade magazine with a cover shot of shiny downtown Pittsburgh and the bold declaration, live here and live to 100. I normally ignore parade. Nothing against this American print institution or its perpetual smile tone, but I have better things to do with my Sunday morning than peruse the latest commemorative plate offerings or suffer the everything-is-awesome repartee between Kristen Bell and the interviewer lobbing her softballs. But this issue was different. Erica saw it first, read the cover story, and brought it to my attention, probably the first time in 16 years of reading Sunday papers together that she had brought a parade article to my attention. And just like that, the moving talk was reignited. What do you know about Pittsburgh? Erica asked me. And what I knew about Pittsburgh was, more than any other Rust Belt town in the past 20 or so years, it had built itself a reputation as a hip, artsy, and affordable place to live. And I mentioned this to Erica from the position of someone who, despite growing up two hours away in northeast Ohio, had never set foot in Pittsburgh, yet had read and heard, via several reliable sources, that it had built itself a reputation as a hip, artsy, and affordable place to live. I also mentioned Warhol and pierogies. I read the article next and agreed, as much as it pained me to agree with an innocuous listicle and parade, especially one giving mad props to the home of the six-time Super Bowl champion Steelers, that Pittsburgh sounded like an ideal landing spot, not to mention a good place to die if you desire to live longer than your average Milwaukeean. Door to door, it's a one-hour, 48-minute drive to my parents' house in Stowe, Ohio, and only four hours to northwest Philadelphia, home to the majority of the creative team Erica works with at her job as a senior graphic designer. A cursory comparison of home prices in Philly and Pittsburgh provided further evidence that Steel City just might be right for our family when it came time to move, and the more and more we talked, the more and more it felt like the time to move had come. So how did we get to this point anyway? Isn't Boise like the it city of it cities right now? The rare mid-market artsy tech low-crime gem that creative class parents like us dream about finding and inhabiting until we've avocadoed our last toast? And wasn't Boise really good to us over the last 14 years? enriching our lives with a phenomenal kid and more personal, professional, and creative fulfillment than any other place we've lived? Yes and yes, but. There's a lot of buts, and we'll take a good look at all of them in a later episode, 
But there's one big but that kept sticking out more than any other, family, and more specifically, our parents. Mine are in their early 70s and relatively healthy, but scary shit is starting to happen. Erica's mom and stepdad are in their late 60s and also relatively healthy, but scary shit will start happening to them too. Seeing these people only once or twice a year was already starting to feel unacceptable by the time Erica lost her grandfather and father in a span of nine months in 2017 and 2018. Suddenly, the thousands of miles between Boise and our parents started feeling like millions. But back to Pittsburgh again. Even if we never live there and the Browns never get to the Super Bowl and we end up flipping the script and hauling ass back west to Scottsdale for the sunset years, Steel City will forever live in our family lore for initiating that first capital S serious talk about moving. We found ourselves asking legit, oh my god, are we really considering this? Questions. What would a move across the country look like? What would we need to do to make it happen? And when, reasonably speaking, would we hit the road? First things first, we had our daughter to consider. Magnolia was privy to these conversations from the start and all in on a big move, even though it meant a hard reset on school, friends, and extracurricular activities. She was halfway through sixth grade at this point, and letting her finish out the school year in Boise was our top priority. So that took us to summer 2020 at the earliest, but faced with long lists of home repairs and moving logistics, half a year felt premature, and a bit hasty. Then there was work. Given her company's good track record of supporting remote scenarios even before the word coronavirus entered casual conversation, Erica was fairly confident she could keep her job, but it wasn't a given. For me, as the marketing director for an independent record store based at Boise, it likely meant a hard reset on work and finding a new gig where we landed, or finding a new gig that determined where we landed. All of which said to us, we need more time. In any case, there was no need to rush. We had a good thing going in Boise. We liked our jobs, we liked the schools, we liked our social lives, and for the first time in a long time we were starting a new year with firm hands on the wheel after years of occasional spin-outs. We also had grown far less impulsive than we had been in our younger years. Dare I say we matured. And anyway, impulsive wasn't going to cut it with a cross-country move involving a kid, a dog, a cat, and much higher stakes than we had in our 20s. So where to go from here? Simply saying let's do it is much different than actually doing it, and we didn't want to look back in 10 years at what we didn't do. Not for something this big, this important. So we gave ourselves a deadline. By spring 2021, we would be back east. We close this week's episode with a shout out of gratitude to everyone whose financial support and creative contributions helped bring the suburban abyss to life. Brad Bentley, Rob Bressler, Nick Chimonis, Alex Cooey, George and Gloria Dryden, Debbie Farber, Andrew and Maureen Ferris, Wendy Fox, Marissa Frisora, Alex Hecht, Kevin Heelsman, Jeremy Jensen, Nick Gizerni, Mike Joseph, Jason Mandela, Mike Markley, Kyle and Emily Nelman, Grant Olson, John O'Neill, Nikosha Orchard, David Parker, Brooks Payette, Nicole Pierce, Katie Proctor, Jodine Revere, Aaron Ryan, Heather Schwabe, Greg Shaw, John Warfel, Olivia Wheats, Bill Wepner, Marcus and Stacy Weidemeyer, Troy Wright, Dave Yasuda, and last but not least, a special thank you to Erica Sparland Dryden and Magnolia Dryden for their love, encouragement, and voiceover talents. The Suburban Abyss is written, produced, and hosted by Chad Andrew Dryden from his home in between Akron and Cleveland, Ohio. Visit thesuburbanabyss.com to access archives, contribute to the tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or read this week's transmission in block form. Thank you for listening.